Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21 Radio. I'm really happy to announce, as we've been going through the early church fathers, that we have arrived to St. Augustine's City of God. We're going to be looking for the next several episodes of Prophecy in St. Augustine's City of God. It's an absolute goldmine for studying biblical prophecy. The City of God was written intermittently between 413 and 427, and boy, I'm really happy to hear that St. Augustine, when he wrote a book, did it intermittently, because that's what I do, but I'll never produce a City of God, but nonetheless, that's what he did. Uh, The pagans were claiming that the sack of Rome in 410 was due to the switch in gods from the pagan gods to the Christian god. They claimed that the pagan gods protected the city and prospered everybody, and the reason Rome was declining and attacked was because of the switch to Christianity. So in response, this really massive book, uh, The City of God, which is composed of 22 books, and each book has chapters within, The first 10 books, almost the first half of the City of God, is refuting the claims that the blessings of Rome came from the pagan religion. And then the last 12 books tells the biblical story of the world from Genesis right through Revelation and into the church. And basically what you end up having is a whole Christian theology of history. And I found this, and I apologize. I forgot the resource. I couldn't recover it. I kind of go through too many things preparing for these broadcasts. But here, I think this was in a Protestant book about the city of God, and it said this, quote, the very title itself was probably derived from a writer called Tychonius, a Donatist theologian who also lived in North Africa. That's where St. Augustine was. The thought of Tychonius was dominated by the church, the great theme of all history. And it's a shame that if you do timelines, you know, you do the secular timeline and then beneath it, like it's a minor key, you do redemptive history. Now it needs to be flipped. Tychonius and St. Augustine had that one right. So it says, thus Augustine took this theme from Tychonius and developed a complete philosophy of history, a thing never before attempted. So those of you who are with us in our last few episodes studying Tychonius, um, you're basically seeing the fruit of his work come to fruition in the life of St. Augustine. Now, I have some people tell me, um, Steve, I'm going to get a hold of the city of God and dig into this because I want to understand biblical prophecy. But um, And I encourage you to read it if you want. But this is a very, very big book. And what we're doing is concentrating on books 20 through 22 of the City of God. And that's a very digestible portion, and especially uh, book 20 of the City of God, which is only about 39 pages, but believe me, it is very rich. If you want to understand biblical prophecy from a secondary source, not from the Bible itself, you need some help. You go to the Catechism of the Catholic Church around section 675 and just read for 15 minutes, and you'll be spared from all kinds of eschatological 
foolishness that goes around both in Protestant and Catholic circles. And then in addition to that, go to St. Augustine, book 20. And I need to mention that this isn't a Protestant versus Catholic issue. There are many Protestants who hold St. Augustine's view. Unfortunately, they don't, don't seem to put as many books out about the end times, or at least you don't hear about them, and they're not on radio and TV as much. So you tend to think, well, no, this is a Catholic versus Protestant issue. No, St. Augustine is owned by Protestants and Catholics. Now, what I'd like to do today is highlight some passages before we get to Book 20 of the City of God, and particularly in Book 14, St. Augustine describes the nature of the two cities. And remember from Tychonius, there's a, a really strong emphasis that in the church, not just the world, but in the church, there are two sides. He said the left side and the right side, and that there were basically people who are not going to be experiencing heaven, large numbers in the church, the left side. So here's what St. Augustine says about the nature of the city of God and the title for the whole book, too. This is book 14, chapter 1. Accordingly, two cities have been formed by two loves. The earthly city by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The former, in a word, glorifies in itself, the latter in the Lord. And there you have it. In a certain sense, if you want to know about the city of God and the city of man, there it is in compact form. And what I would like to do is bring this home for today. Because when we study prophecy, we just don't want to know timelines and enrich our understanding of end times but we want our lives to be impacted by it, and if necessary, changed. In our world, there is a full court press to try to convince people that the self, my ego, and all of my life is all about me. And social media, which one military man called institutionalized narcissism, we have our phones for selfies, providing self-absorption, self-seeking, self-promotion, self-admiration. You have YouTube, broadcast yourself, or Twitter. What are you doing? It's all about me, myself, and I. Time Magazine back in 2006, remember the cover for the person of the year? You, and it was a mirror on a computer screen. Idolatry is critical for understanding the end times and the final apostasy of the Antichrist. And I'll get to that in a moment. All I'm saying, it's my observation that we're heading there. While preparing this talk and reading St. Augustine, particularly thinking about this initial uh, section about the love of God and the love of self, I got a book announcement by an author by the name of Caitlin Beattie, and it's it's a prophetic book. It's not out yet. It'll be out, I think, in August or, yeah, August 16th. It's entitled Celebrities for Jesus, How Personas, Platforms, and Prophets Are Hurting 
the church. And she talks about and criticizes fame cultivated for its own sake uh, without any kind of spiritual maturity or accountability and a fixation on profits and basically saying that the ways the celebrities for Jesus are changing the American church. Well, I emailed uh, Caitlin Beatty. I haven't heard back from her yet. And she was basically critiquing what's going on in the evangelical church. I wrote her saying, it's in Catholic circles too. We have celebrity conference speakers. We have celebrity priests. We have um, media conferences where we say we're going to have such and such uh, Catholic personalities. Uh, I can I can just see somebody going before Jesus, standing before him when coming to judgment, and you say, hello, Jesus, I'm a Catholic personality. I can tell you with pretty good certainty where you're going to go, and it's not going to be to heaven. Um, there's no such thing as Catholic personalities and celebrity priests and celebrity speakers and blah, blah, blah. I can remember at a conference and conferences, they blow up your head, you know, and I realize you got to have marketing and a little hype to try to get people to come. But I remember sitting in a Catholic men's conference. I was sitting in back. They had round tables everybody sat at, and I just sat at the back table, and they were going on about my bio. And one of the guys said, oh, you're, you're the star for today. And I said, no, I'm not. I said, I put on my pants exactly the same way you put on your pants this morning. And it's like we blow people up in America, uh, and it's dangerous. In 2 Corinthians, St. Paul is really warring against the Greek notion of puffing up philosophers and speakers and, and even phony apostles. And he says in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. At Damascus, the governor under the king, guarded the city of Damascus in order to seize me. They were going to kill St. Paul. This is right after he was converted, marching into Damascus, ready to evangelize the world. And then he goes, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. You know, there's one commentator who mentioned that St. Paul could be perhaps parroting a Roman award in an attack on a fortified city there was given to the soldier who was first up and over the wall a crown called a war crown for the first one up. And here St. Paul was saying, I wasn't first one up. I was the first one down. And that was really the man God uses. So in the end times, this self-idolatry is going to reach such an extent. It's... um, it's unimaginable, and we're being led by even the celebrities for Jesus and celebrity speakers and celebrity media people, even in conservative Catholic circles, quit it. It's not healthy. And St. Paul tells us in Second Thessalonians 2 that the rebellion comes with the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, but he exalts himself, exalts himself, hear that, against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. 
That's idolatry. The essence of idolatry isn't bowing down before a rock or a statue or a carved idol or something like that. That is idolatry, but the ultimate form of idolatry is this, I, the I in idolatry. Expand it until it's a huge bloated I. That's what the Antichrist is going to do. And for those who refuse to love the truth, there's going to be a strong delusion, a strong delusion to make them believe what's false. And he's going to say, you know, the whole bit about, you know, it's the God within you and all that, and you're God, and it needs to be self-realization. Well, I'm saying today that, and we don't need to worry about other people. We need to worry about ourselves that conservative Catholics have a blind side, and myself included, and we need to get rid of it, need to crucify it. Here's what a Protestant leader and writer, A.W. Tozer, said about what sin is. Sin has many manifestations, but its essence is one. A moral being created to worship before the throne of God sits on the throne of his own selfhood. And from that elevated person declares, I am, that is sin, in its consecrated essence. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to Luke 21 Radio. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. To learn more about biblical prophecy, visit us online at luke21.com.